a couple of weeks ago, I don't know how long ago it was, you can go back on the website and check. I preached a sermon from 1 Timothy chapter 6, talking about how to handle your wealth and uh, just about living lives of generosity. And um, I, I just couldn't let it go. So are you ready? I'm going to encourage you again today to be generous people with your time, your talent, with your resources, with everything that we have. Um, I was looking at uh, the story in uh, Luke chapter 12, if you have your Bible, Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool, Luke 12 verse 13, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen, says this, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything that you've worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. It's a very powerful verse. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This parable of the rich fool, it's really a very, very powerful reminder to us all about priorities, uh, about where our priorities lie. What do we really value? Where, where is our heart really, you know, what is our heart really into? I mean, who or what do we really love? What, what is what is ultimately most important to us? See, the words of our mouth can say one thing you know, but sometimes our actions don't line up all the time with the words that come out of our mouth. And Jesus actually talked about money a lot. Did you know that? He, he actually talked about money a lot. In fact, it's one of the main, main issues that Jesus talked about on and off throughout the Gospels. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why? Why would this be a theme that he would come back to again and again and again? Why? I mean, God owns the world, right? So it's not like he needs the little bit that we have. So why would he come back to it again and again and again? And I think he talks about it frequently because he knows the fact, this is a fact for most of us, our hearts are tied to our money. We're, we're tied to it, and, 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 and way more than we want to admit, by the way. And I think the whole point is he wants to untie our hearts from our money so that he can get us back to himself, so that he can have more of our heart. We can only give him the parts of our heart that are free, amen? And so he wants to untie us from this so that we can truly love him and move into a deeper relationship with him. Now, I know exactly what some of you are thinking. Really? This is the Sunday I have to come and visit this church? The guy's going to talk about money? Yes, I am. A pastor begging us for cash? I see them on TV all the time. Well, maybe, but here we go. Let me just say this. Let's say just two things. First, the reality, of course, is that a church, every organization, every home, every person, we all need money to function. It's pretty basic. But for those of us that call this church our home, we all share in the responsibility to keep the church alive, to pay the bills, to keep the ministry running. Do you know that a church, really, that some of the money that we give, it goes locally? You know, I mean, it pays, our, of course, our bills, 
it puts food on some of our tables, and uh, you know, but it, it, it also impacts our community. It also impacts the world because of all the money that we give overseas and to all the things that we're involved with. So that's just the fact, and that's true. But if all you hear today is that I'm asking you for money, you, you've missed the giant point. You know, you've, 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 you know, you've, you've got something that, that, uh, that you're focusing on that, that's not my focus today. The bigger point is this. There, 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 this is more about what Jesus wants for us than what he wants from us. Do you understand? So when we talk about money and we talk about our hearts being tied to money, we all say, you know, the Lord says, you, you know, don't love money. You can't serve two, you know, two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You know, so he's encouraging us again and again and again throughout Scripture Untie your heart from your money and give it to me. He says it again and again and again in many different ways. And so this is the point that he's trying to make. He, he wants, you know, when, when the Bible encourages us to give or when someone gets up to give, of course, there's people that, that talk about it in a wrong way, but we're not talking about that today. What we're talking about is a healthy way to live and to have perspective and prioritize the things in our life, to make sure that money is not the number one love in our life. Mm -hmm. And this is a struggle for all of us because we love money. It's, it's okay to say that, you know? It's, it's, it's that temptation that we all want it and we all need it. But here's the thing. When, the, when Jesus talks about it, it's always more about what he wants for us more than what he wants from us. This is what he's all about. And so this is really the point. And second, let me say this. We're never instructed to give out of guilt. If, if you come to church or, or, or you're anywhere, anywhere, and, and somebody is pressuring you to give to the point where you feel like uncomfortable, you know, you, you feel like uh, so condemned or, you, you know, this is not, this is, it's not correct. It's not the way that God wants us to give. It's not the way that he instructs us to give. It's, it's not how our relationship with God is supposed to work. It's, it's not that way at all. Um, 2 Corinthians 9.7 says this very simply. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. What does God love? God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Not a person who gives under guilt and pressure. That's not what he wants from us. He doesn't actually need your cash. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get, he's trying to give you something. But you have to give up something to get that better something back. And so this is the whole point, right? He wants something for you more than he wants something from you, okay? So there's a battle that goes on in our hearts, now, we're, it's already getting very deadly quiet in here. I can feel it. Ooh. Last week, there was amens and shouting and people saying, yes, pastor. This week, I can hear you breathe. Ooh. So listen, there's a battle that's going on in our hearts. Money is the God that rules so many people's lives. You know that's true. And this is not the life that God wants for us. There are deeper, much more meaningful things that, that, we, that we just, we won't get, we won't understand, we won't possess if we don't get our hearts untangled from our money. And so, this is really the point, you know, um, we have to get our hearts untangled from our money or else we'll miss so much of what he really wants for us. Do you understand? For us. So, here's the story. Jesus tells this story because a man interrupts his teaching, which is classic. So, if you go back uh, to the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus is talking about important things. He's talking about uh, not being a hypocrite and, and all these other things. And right in the middle of his, of his, of his teaching, some guy says to him, Hey! Tell my brother to give me my share. That's what he interrupts him. And so the, the whole parable of the rich fool comes because 
Jesus is interrupted. He was talking about something else, and this guy interrupts him. And then he says, okay, well, let me tell you a story, right? But first of all, he says, I'm not going to get involved with that, right? The reason he doesn't want to get involved with this guy and his brother is because he's, he's concerned about the deeper issue, right? He's concerned about the deeper issue of greed that's being displayed actually by, bro, by both brothers, right? The one who has the money and the one who wants the money. They both want their dad's money. And, 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 uh, and he wants Jesus to help him get it. And Jesus doesn't want to get involved with that. He's more concerned about the deeper issue of greed and priorities. And so he tells him this story so that he can get it. Uh, Luke chapter 12, 15, he says, that he says Be, beware, guard against every kind of greed. So the guy says, tell my brother to give me my cash. And his response is, I'm not going to be doing that. And by the way, beware, guard yourself against every kind of greed. He just comes right back and nails him and says, hmm, right? And this is what he says, guard against every kind of greed. Life's not measured by how much you own. Let me tell you a story. So he he, he tells him this story about this man who has a great farm and he has an amazing year, uh, maybe an amazing several years. His crops are overflowing. His barns are too small. And Jesus tells him this story. But the point that he's making, one of the points, at least in this story, is very, very clear. He says this, what good is all the riches you have on the day that you die? This is the point that he, he tries to make to all of us. Look at Luke 12, 20 and 21. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. So he says, listen, what good will it do you then? And by the way, we all die. If you're poor, you're going to die. If you're middle class, you're going to die. If you're rich, you're going to die. And what good is the zero dollars in your bank account or the $17 billion in your bank account on the day that you die? We all face death. We're all terminal. It's just a matter of when. And money is not going to mean that much on that day. And this is his point. What good is it going to do you then? The answer, of course, is it's not going to do you any good at all, right? Look at Proverbs 11.4. It says, riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. See, he's concerned about the deeper issue. So this guy had worked really hard, and he, now he thought he could kick back, relax, enjoy his wealth. Doesn't this sound a lot like us, like a lot like what we're still trying to do? Remember, uh, you know, it, it, it still sounds like the dream we're chasing. I was thinking about... Freedom 55, you know? I'm not 55 yet, but maybe I could retire it. No, I won't. But, but, you know, but it's the dream we all have. You know, now, now it was, no, now it's like freedom 65. No, now they bumped it to 67, and people that retire at 67 then get part-time jobs. That's what happens, right? So, but it's this dream we chase, right? We we work hard, we do well, we, we're smart, we invest, we do all the right things with our cash. And then, you know, we, we want to, you know, just like this guy says, man, I've worked hard. I'm going to pack this all away, and then I'm going to sit back, I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, I'm going to be merry. Life is good, because I've worked hard, and I've got lots to live off of, right? And Jesus says, you're a fool. I mean, think about... What a, what a problem for him to have, eh? Like, that's a, it's, it's, that's a deep, deep problem that he has. Too much stuff, too much wealth, and he can't hold it all. I know what you're thinking. Could I have that problem? Could I have so much wealth that I can't hold it all? You know, but even that very, even just that very thought, I, you know, and I say it in jest, but, you know, we can say, wow, I, I wish I had that problem. But do you see how even, even that very thought in our minds might reveal the greed that remains in our heart? That we're, we're, we really, really, really have our hearts tied to money. And he wants to make sure that they're not tied to money, but tied to him. 
There's no talk of, here's, let me say this too. There's no talk from the guy about how he can serve God with all of his extra cash. There's no talk about how much he can give away. There's no talk about how many people he could help, how many poor people he could save, all the good that he could do with his cash. No. And this is why he's the, the parable of the rich fool, because he was saving his money selfishly in a greedy way, saying, this money is mine. Now, let me say this on the other hand. It needs to be understood that having a great harvest and being blessed financially is not a bad thing. In fact, I hope God blesses us and blesses you in a greater way, right? This is not a bad thing, right? It's okay to build bigger barns. It's okay to have nicer things. It, it's all okay. Uh, even Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, wealth can be enjoyed and employed at the same time, right? Wealth can be enjoyed and employed at the same time as, uh, you know, as long as your purpose is to honor God, right? The problem with this guy was that he didn't want to honor God with his extra cash and all of his stuff. He wanted to use it selfishly for himself. Uh, now, if, if, uh, if you want to actually get a little bit more teaching on that, if you go back on the website, I spent some time from 1 Timothy chapter 6 a few weeks ago talking about money given to us for our enjoyment. And, in, and, and I talked about that a few weeks ago, so you can look back if you want to. But the, the issue is this. Where is your heart? Where is your priority? Understand that we have to be honest enough to say money is a very powerful thing for us, and it competes for our heart. And Jesus says you've got to guard your heart against every kind of greed. Don't let it get to you. Be blessed. Use what he gives you. If you have extra, then be blessed. Buy nicer things, but make sure that you're doing good stuff with your cash and you're not trying to hoard it. Remember the story of uh, um, whether we like it or not, we've now, now that we've just passed Remembrance Day, we are now officially entering into the Christmas season. I haven't been to any stores yet, but I'm sure that the stuff is probably up already. You know, online shopping is from God, I think. You don't have to go into stores. So anyway, I'm just saying. But remember the story of Scrooge? You know, he's this nasty, bitter old man, right, who has tons of cash, but he's hungry to get more and to keep every cent that he has, right? And it's not until, you all know the story, it's not until he's faced with the reality of his death, right, that his perspective is changed. And all of a sudden, he becomes kind. He becomes generous. He, he, love fills his heart. And, and, and he's just a transformed human being. Now, I know that it's just a story. But the point of the story is very true. And you know this, right? It points to something that is true many, many times in our lives, right? That greed and joy don't actually go together. It's true. Greed and joy don't actually go together a lot. You know what goes together? Giving and joy are more closely linked, right? He has all the money. He, he has all the money, you know, in the world. And yet he's this nasty, nasty, bitter old man. And then, you know, all of a sudden he has this transformation. He starts to give his money away. He starts to look after people better. And you know, it's like people, we look around, how many people you know in this world, you know, greedy people, there's not a lot of deep joy that, that, is, that is connected to greed. It's, there's actually some truth to that part, that, there, that greed and joy don't get linked a lot together. What, where you find joy is in the heart of a generous person. Now, remember a few weeks ago when I showed you that clip from um, the TV show The Secret Millionaire and um, about how uh, any of you have seen the show, but a millionaire, somebody, a lady or a man who's a millionaire, they have a lot of money, they, they go live in this place and they work with people and charities and then at the end they give money away and they reveal to the people they've been working with that they're, they're actually wealthy and they give people checks. You, you have to watch the show and just make sure you have Kleenex, because you'll cry every time. I'm telling you. Uh, it, it's an amazing show. 
But the point is, is the, the giving part brings deep, deep joy into the lives of, into the lives of human beings. It's, it's how we're wired. It's that God image that's still left in us. It's who God is. And when we give like God gives, when we're generous like God is generous with our time, our talent, our treasure, there's a deep purity of joy that floods into our soul that can't be got by stuff, by buying material, by, by buying the house, by buying the boat, by buying the car, and all this stuff. There's something pure and powerful about it. Giving is powerful, right? And like I said a few weeks ago, generous people change the world. And that's the truth. Generous people change the world. So, greed and joy don't go together. Giving and joy are more closely linked. And Jesus always points us to the truth. He always points us to that deeper truth, to the life worth living. So he says, listen, I know this is not what I want from you. This is what I want for you. And I know that if you hoard everything and you become greedy, then joy will not be a deep part of your life. But if you learn how to let it go and untie your heart from this and give things away, give some to the church, give some to people, be a generous person, all of a sudden your life becomes joy-filled. It becomes a change maker. You become a difference maker. You become someone who not only is giving joy, but you're getting incredible joy back. You know this is true. When you've had a moment of generosity in your life and you've given to someone and you know that they've deeply, truly, truly, truly have received it, you know, and they're like, Oh, thank you. You walk away feeling like a million bucks, pun intended, right? You wa- that feeling is worth a million dollars, right? It's an amazing sense that comes on us when we give and we act and behave generously on a consistent basis. This is the life that Jesus says is worth living. He wants us to, he, he wants to give us good things. And one of the good things that we don't talk about, one of the good things that Jesus wants to give us is actually a generous heart. It's one of the things I think he wants to give us. It's important that we have this because, like I said, it, it leads to real joy. It leads to deeper joy. It leads to having a greater impact on the people around you. It, it leads to you having a richer, fuller, more abundant life. I mean, who doesn't want to lead a happy life? Everybody does. That's what we all want. And so we work and work and work and think that the more stuff we buy, the more happiness will come with it. And it's not necessarily true, right? Yes, when I buy something, it brings me a short measure of happiness, and then you can have buyer's regret. You buy a boat and think it's awesome when I'm driving it on the lake, and then when I come off the lake, I go, man, I got to buy gas. I got to get insurance. I got to store it for the winter. Boat, bust out another thousand. That's what it is. These things cost us cash. Yeah, you're thinking, you're thinking, yeah, that's right. B O A, yeah, there you go. But he wants to give us good things, and being generous is truly one of the things that I think God wants to give to his people because it leads us into a life worth living. It leads us to become a person that, that he, he looks down and he's so proud of us. And he says, look at my son, just giving and living and loving and, and just doing the things that I would do. You start to become a richer person in so many more meaningful ways than just having a bigger bank account. We all want to live that happy life, that life filled with joy and purpose and hope and all these things. But, uh, you know, we want this life that's filled with love and filled with good, strong relationships. We, we want to be people that, that, that touch others. We want to be difference makers. We, we want to be people like that. And listen, it's only generous, generous people change the world. This is how we can do it. So Jesus wants our heart. He wants our heart. This is what 
He wants. And we, he, he must untie it first from our cash before he can really have it fully. And this is the challenge before us. So listen, I hope that you want to give more of your heart to him. I do. And so the, 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 one of the ways that we can continually progress in this is to regularly and consistently be generous to others. It's one of the ways that you can continually keep your heart untied from your money. That this is not what's most important to me. Yes, of course, I need to pay my bills. Yes, of course, I'm not being, you know, there's reason to this. But I'm saying, I, I want to give. I want to I I make sure that I'm living the, uh, you know, that, that life that's worth living. I, I want that joy. I want that hope. I, I want that deeper meaning. I want to get a kick out of my giving. Uh, you know, it's not a lie when, when in Acts it says it's better to give than to receive. Why? All of this is true. Because of all the ramifications and the beautiful positive consequences that pour into your life when you are regularly and consistently generous. You know, somebody that's generous always gets everything they need back. That's how it seems to me. I've seen people in ministry over the years that have been hurting for this and hurting for that. Somebody that doesn't have a lot of money, but any little thing they have, they want to give away or give to somebody or bless somebody else. And those are the people that it seems like, you know, when you see somebody in need, and by the way, let me, let me say this. Um, I don't want to, well, no, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it anyway, just because I don't want to give anything away, but... Years ago, Helen and I used to make this pact with each other that at least once a year, at least at Christmas time, we would just anonymously, and it wasn't me that gave you that cash, just saying, but, it, but, it, but just anonymously find somebody who had a need and to meet that need, right? So whether it was cash or a gift or a present or so now, you know, if it's anonymous and you get it, don't, you know, might, well, see, that's why I was like, now I'm just blowing our thing here in front of the whole church. But anyway, so, but, but I'm just saying this <laughs> to say the, the, the joy and this, the fun and the kick that we got out of that is just so worth a couple hundred bucks or whatever it was. Somebody, you know, needs an iPad and you just anonymously drop it off at their door in a, in a, random box, and then it's just this cool stuff like that, you know, and then someone walks in and goes, you wouldn't believe it, I got this iPad dropped off at my door, and it's just what I needed, and Helen and I are like, mm-hmm, right on, you know, and it's like, you know, stuff like that happens, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just using it as, as, a, as a fun example to say, there is so much truth about it's better to give than to receive. It turns you into somebody who you really want to be. It turns you into the person you really want to become. Greed shuts us down and impacts us in such a negative way. But when we live not with a closed fist, but with an open hand, there's something so beautiful, so powerful, and so life-changing about that, both ways for the people that get and for you that receive back. Generous people will always get blessed back, always. I'm not talking about cash flow where you give 100 and get 200 back, or that might happen, but I'm just saying you always get blessed when you give. Somebody said yes, right? It's just true. And so I'm encouraging us today, right, to do this. When you live like that, at least three things are going to happen. I'm telling you, at least three things. One, it, 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 when you're generous and you live like that, it will realign your heart back to the Lord. That's what it will do, first and foremost, because that's who he really is. Second, it will bring joy to your life in a deep way that money could never get you. And three, it will show God's love to somebody else and encourage somebody else in a deep way. Those three things are very powerful, and they come with a generous life. So let me, let me, uh, let me uh, start to wrap up now. It's not my closing, so don't worry. So I know you could be here all day to talk about this, but 
In the Old Testament, God commands the Israelites to give a 10% tithe. That's what he says to do. Now, Jesus affirmed, I believe Jesus affirmed tithing as a good place to start. Uh, this is one example, Luke eleven forty two. He's yelling at the Pharisees about how they deal with their money. And this is what he says, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So he's saying, listen, it is an Old Testament principle. It is a good place to start. But here's the thing that Jesus always does, and, and you can like it or not like it, but he does this on a regular basis. He takes Old Testament laws and he deepens them. And he makes us understand that it's, not, that it's now a matter of the heart, not just a matter of the rule. And that's what he does consistently throughout the New Testament, right? Here's one example, Matthew 5. He says, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So see, guys are walking around saying, well, if I don't actually commit adultery, it's okay. You know, but I can oogle every woman, you know, that walks by. You know, as long as I don't touch them. You even know in your own mind that that's palahui, right? So Jesus takes this law and says, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. I want you to understand that motive, that the heart that all of this is, is, is a deeper issue than just obeying the, the actual letter of the law. And he does it again and again and again. Um, so giving in the New Testament is this. He takes this Old Testament principle and, and, uh, that says give 10% of your income to the Lord. And he says, look, now giving in the New Testament is now about this. I want it all. I want your whole heart. I want you to be generous. It's generosity is the thing that begins to flow very powerfully throughout the New Testament. He wants us to be generous. So he says, look, if you think you can tithe and that's all, and, and that's all you need to do, you're wrong. That's not, that's, I want more than that. I want your heart. I want this to be something deep that goes on in you, right? So yes, the tithe is a good place to start. Yes, but he wants more from us. He wants our heart. You see? So he wants us to love him. He wants us to love others. You know, uh, put up for me Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, verse 40 is very interesting. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. So he says, look, all the hundreds and hundreds of rules and regulations and all the things that the Pharisees will tell you to do boils down to these two things. I want, I want you to love God with everything that you have, and I want you to love people the same way. Love, right? Motive, right? See, what does he want? He wants our heart, because if he has your heart... He's, he knows that everything else will flow from that, right? So uh, Jesus says these two are the greatest commands, and they sum up all of the commands. So real love is generous. You, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 13, right? Real love is, is generous. It's, it's not self-seeking. It, it puts the needs of others first, and etc., 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 right? So here's the thing. We are to love God and to love others. He is to have our heart, and we are to untie it from money or from anything else that is hindering us from giving him more of our heart because he wants it all, right? So when it comes to generosity, and here is actually the title of my message, Steph. Write this down for the, for the, for the website, all right? Here it is right here. This is the good question to ask yourself when it comes to generosity, understanding what he wants and how love is the greatest command. What does love require of me? Ask yourself that question when it comes to your generosity. 
What does love require of me? Not just to appease a rule, not just to lighten my conscience, get my parents off my back, or somebody you know, wants me to do this or that, or give just to say that I did. No, the question is, what would real love require me to do? What would love require of me? If I love him with my whole heart, what does that require of me? If I love others as, as much as I love God and as much as I love myself, what does that require of me? Does my giving to my church reveal a real love for God? Well, only you know that. Do my actions toward others show generosity with my time and talent and resources? See, if real love is generous, then what does love require of me? What does it require of me? And I've been asking myself that question this week. Not what the pastor wants. Not, not what somebody in the church wants or expects of you. It's not, not your family. Not anybody. Not what somebody would pressure you to do. Not what somebody tries to guilt you into doing. No. What would love require of me? For if I love him, what does that require? Can I answer everything? Everything. What does love require of me? If I loved, what would I do? If I loved him and people, how would I behave? Would I have walked away? Would I have stopped to help? Would I have given money? Would I have made that call? Would I have looked to find a way to bring encouragement and hope and blessing to use my time or talents or even my money to make a difference? What does love require of me? This is the question that we ultimately must ask. Not, well, pastor's going to get up and say, give money to the church, and then he's going to say, give 10%. I can't give 10%. But this is, this, it's... It's so small in comparison to the bigger picture. Yes, tithe. Yes, you should do it. Yes, I encourage you to do it. But never stop, never stop there. You know, you read stories of people that work their way up to 10 and then keep, keep going. I know people who will tithe 20%, 25% because they get such a kick out of giving. They just love to give. Give everything they have. And there's something unique about that. But it's, it's not just about that. It's not about, about this meeting this rule or regulation or, or appeasing your conscience or, or getting rid of your guilt or trying to make somebody else happy. The point is this. When it comes to the way we live, when it comes to our generosity and what we do with our time and our talent and our treasure, what does love require of me? For if I am a child of God, and I am commanded that every law comes down to two, to love God with everything that I am and to love people with everything that I have. And if, if, if I'm commanded to love, and in every situation, what does love require of me? When the plate is being passed at church, what does love require of me? When I walk out that door and I'm giving a tip to the server today, what does love require of me, right? When I'm treating my spouse, my children, People in the church, what does love require of me? What does it require of me? It requires me to be generous. It requires me to think of people as more important than myself, right? What does love require of you? See, this is what believers are called to. Love requires us to sacrifice so that those who are hurt those who are lost, those who are hungry, those who are hopeless, those who are broken, those who are wondering if this whole God thing is just a crock of nonsense. Generous people change the world. And I have to ask myself, and I challenge you to ask yourself, what does love require of because when I read this story, and Jesus says very, very clearly, a person is a fool who stores up earthly wealth, but doesn't have a rich relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea 
of being a fool. Does that suit you well? I don't want to be a fool. Not in the eyes of the one who holds the world in his hands. I'll be a fool for anybody else, but I won't be a fool in his eyes. And if he says, you're a fool to gather up earthly material wealth and to neglect having a rich relationship with God, there's a price to pay for that, both now and ultimately. But there is a price to pay also for living for him. Yes, it costs us. Yes, sometimes it's inconvenient. Yes, there are sacrifices to be made. Yes, sometimes it's hard. Yes, I know that. I'm a person too. But the point is, what does love require of me? And I can blah, blah, blah all I want, but if I walk out those doors and I don't live that way, then my relationship with God is not where it needs to be. And that's just the honest truth. So I want to read these two scriptures and then we're going to close. What does love require of us? Think of that phrase. And then uh, there's two, two polar opposite responses. Ezekiel, the first one's Ezekiel 33. This is God talking to Ezekiel, and he calls him son of man. He says, son of man, your people talk about you in their houses. They whisper about you at the doors. They say to each other, come on, let's go hear the prophet. Tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words, and their hearts seek only after... You're very entertaining to them, like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. Or the other response is this, Psalm 119, verse 33. Teach me your decrees, O Lord, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all of my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for... Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. This is not my words, but Jesus' words to all of us. We are fools to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. To use the wealth and the blessing that he pours into your life only for greed and selfish gain is acting foolishly, both short-term and long-term. This is the exact opposite of what he wants us to do. You know, the whole reason we have the opportunity to be generous towards people towards others, is because God's been generous to us. Amen? It's the only reason we have an opportunity to even be generous, is because he's been generous to us. And so when it comes to your generosity towards God and towards people, I, I challenge you and encourage you today, don't think about just fulfilling a rule. Don't think about doing a bare minimum to ease your conscience. Ask yourself, what would love require me to do, and then do it. Do it. Just say that with me. Do it. Then do it. Let's bow and pray. Father, thank you. In fact, why don't we stand together? I just had this thought partway through this sermon today that maybe um, the way to end is just to end. Just to say, here it is, here's the word. And to walk out these doors and to be people who are committed not to be like the people that went to listen to the prophet Ezekiel for entertainment, but never intended to do anything about it. 
but we are more like the psalmist who says, Lord, teach me to do your will. Teach me to walk in your ways. Teach me to love you more than I love my money. Teach me to give you my whole heart so that I may live with life. This is the kind of people, Lord, that we want to be. This is the kind of church that we want to be. This is, this is the kind of families we want to be, Lord. But ultimately, we are responsible for ourselves. And so we say to you, Lord, honestly, for those of us that mean this, this is the kind of person that I want to be. What would love require me to do? And whatever situation I'm in, whoever I'm speaking with, whatever comes my way, may I just simply ask that question in my mind. Give me an answer. And then just give me the courage and the strength to go ahead and do it. What would love require of me? If I truly love this person with my whole heart, what would I do? If I truly loved God and this church with my whole heart, what would I do? How would I act? What would I give? What would I sacrifice? May that, Lord, simply but yet powerfully ring in our hearts. In fact, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you in Jesus' name. We talk about the sealing of the Spirit. Seal this inside of us. We are leaky vessels, Lord. But I'm asking you to seal this thought in us today, that it haunts us almost, that it lingers with us in a very positive way. What does love require of me? And then help me to do it. Lord, just that simple. Please, may we be men and women who are generous. May we be people who live with an open hand and not a closed fist. May we be those who look, Lord, to the needs of others and to the needs around us and realize that we can make a difference. Yes, we may not have millions of dollars, but that's not what's important. What's important is that what would love require me to do? And if it's to give a few dollars, then I give the few dollars I have. If love would require me to spend time and to take somebody out for a coffee, to encourage them, to hug them, and to just speak encouragement into their life, then that's what love would require me to do. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to seal this in us. And as we leave today, may our eyes be opened to different and new possibilities this week. What would love require of me? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is life and that it points us to a life worth living. You are good and great, and we love you today. Just as we close, if you're here, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just want to, I'm just going to pray very, very briefly and quickly, but if you're here today, and you just have a need in your life, any kind of a need, even a need, but even specifically a need related that, that you have felt uh, that maybe you've just not been, you know, as generous a person as you need to be. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you just need Jesus today. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him. You don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe there's another need in your life. But I, I just felt prompted just now. I was going to close. But just before I do, if you're here and you just have a need of, of some kind, would you just put up your hand for a moment? Just any kind of a need. Thank you. Just keep it up just for a moment, just as long as you can, if you don't mind. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a God who is more than able. Thank you, Lord, that there is nothing hard for you. Thank you that you said, Lord, that we, that we can pray and that our prayers, Lord, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and produce great results. And so we thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name for the hands today that are lifted. Some of us, Lord, need to be deeply challenged about how, how we spend our money and how generous or not generous we've been. And so if some of these hands, Lord, are up for that, would you deeply talk to us today about that? Father, some, 
Lord, have a relationship need. I can just feel it today. If you have a relationship need and your hand is up, maybe your hand's not up. But I just speak love, Father, into our relationships. I just speak peace into our homes. I speak hope, Lord, into something that's so broken that it seems impossible. But we ask you in Jesus' name to do the work of reconciliation that is needed in our lives. May you get the glory for it. May we pray and believe with expectation so that, Lord, as Jordan came up and prayed that he, he acted in faith and wrote that check and then you blessed him. Lord, we're asking in faith again that you would heal a relationship. And in the weeks to come, we want to hear a testimony about what you've done in Jesus' name. So thank you, Father. For those, Lord, that have physical issues, um, we're praying in Jesus' name, simply agreeing together that healing and strength, Lord, would flow into our bodies in Jesus' name. We're asking, Lord, that you would help us to be men and women who love. Everything, Lord, every command, everything that the prophets taught, Jesus said, are summed up in two things, love God and love people. So help us to do that with all of our heart. Help us to be generous to the very core of who we are. Thank you, Jesus. May this, Lord, may this deeply, deeply challenge us and impact our lives today. Just, just as we go, I, I couldn't, I, I had to bring this topic up one more time. This, after I spoke about this a few weeks ago, I felt like, the Lord was deeply challenging me and all of us to be people who stop talking about generosity, who, who pretend we're generous, but to really look at our lives in an honest way and to take that step. I know that we are generous, by the way, but God says and demands and asks us to let's do better. Let's do more. Let's be people who can give more, love more, serve more. Let's be those kind of people. And I just felt a deep, deep challenge in my own heart. And so I, I wanted to bring this parable to you again because I, I deeply think that this is something that he's challenging us with. And so would you receive it today? Do you, do you receive this today in the spirit in which it's given? Let's receive this as the word of God. And let's walk out the doors. And let's stop talking about it. And let's just start doing it. Somebody said amen. 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 God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.